Due to the graphic nature of today's episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of suicide and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On a brisk London evening in 1992, a middle-aged man climbed the scaffolding beneath Blackfriars Bridge. His shoes scuffed against the metal poles on his way up. Once he got to the top, he teetered on the edge and leapt. The man landed safely in an area designed to preserve evidence. A team of forensic investigators swooped in, eager to see the results of their experiment. They were conducting a series of tests designed by Dr. Angela Gallup. Her goal was to uncover the truth behind the death of Italian banker Roberto Calvi, to confirm whether he'd taken his own life or to prove foul play was involved. At the end of the simulation, the researchers removed the test subject's shoes. The scaffolding had scratched them up. But when officials compared the scuffs to those on the identical shoes Calvi wore on the night of his death, the marks didn't match. Next, they compared the green paint fragments on Calvi's footwear to the paint on the scaffolding. But those weren't consistent either. Professor Gallup had seen enough. In her report, Under Cause of Death, she wrote the word murder. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our second and final episode on Roberto Calvi, an Italian financier who was found dead under a London bridge in June 1982. At the time, authorities declared the banker had died of suicide, but later evidence suggested he was murdered. Last time, we discussed Calvi's rise to the top of Banco Ambrosiano and his downfall when Italian investigators exposed his complex network of fraud. Today, we'll dissect the evidence and meet the suspects who may have killed Calvi, members of a secret Masonic society, mobsters, and even high-ranking officials in the Vatican. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Throughout the 1970s, Roberto Calvi ran one of Italy's largest private financial institutions, Banco Ambrosiano. But by the summer of 1982, he'd been convicted of fraud. Instead of waiting around for his appeal, Calvi packed a black briefcase full of sensitive documents and fled the country. Days later, the banker was in a cheap hotel room in London. In a last-ditch effort to save himself, Calvi sent a letter to one of his clients, Pope John Paul II. Calvi implicitly threatened that if the Pope refused to offer support, he'd expose the Vatican Bank's role in a money laundering scheme. On the morning of June 18th, a postal clerk found the 62-year-old's body hanging beneath Blackfriars Bridge. His pockets were filled with bricks and his briefcase was gone. Although the banker had traveled under a fake passport and his mustache was shaved off, police easily identified the body. After a brief investigation, they determined Calvi's cause of death was suicide. On the surface, the ruling seemed plausible. Police found money in his coat, suggesting he hadn't been robbed, and there were no visible injuries to indicate foul play. More concerning, Calvi's Banco Ambrosiano was on the verge of collapse at the time of his death. Once the toast of Italy, the financier was now a fugitive with nowhere to hide. Authorities suspected this may have driven him to end his life. So, the case was closed. But Calvi's widow, Clara, immediately disputed the verdict with the High Court of England. She insisted her husband would never take his own life. After all, he was a devout Catholic, and killing himself would have been a grave sin. Perhaps more importantly, Calvi also had a massive life insurance policy that wouldn't pay out if he killed himself. According to Clara, her husband was a devoted family man. He wasn't the sort to leave his wife and children penniless. Instead, Clara argued her husband was murdered for threatening to expose a powerful organization's criminal ties. The English courts found merit in the argument and changed his official cause of death to inconclusive. The ruling allowed the deceased's family to collect Calvi's life insurance, but it didn't reopen the police's case. Almost a decade passed with no forward momentum. Frustrated, the family hired a private investigation firm. In 1992, a forensic scientist named Dr. Angela Gallup agreed to verify Calvi's true cause of death. Dr. Gallup is famous in the forensic community for investigating several notorious murders, including the infamous Yorkshire Ripper case. Although Calvi had passed away 10 years earlier, Dr. Gallup and her team had access to the original evidence the police had gathered. Using eyewitness accounts and police reports, the team painstakingly reconstructed the scene of his death. 
The scientists discovered there were only a handful of ways Colvie could have ended up under Blackfriars Bridge. He could have gotten there himself by climbing down a tall scaffolding and shimmying out over the water, or by scurrying up from the shoreline. Either method would have been challenging for anyone, but especially Colvie, who had a history of vertigo. Or the second possibility, someone brought him there, lowering him from the bridge or lifting him from a boat. The team tested the first scenario by having a stand-in climb the same scaffolding. Afterward, they compared the stand-in shoes to Calvi's. The scuff marks didn't match, indicating the banker couldn't have gotten under the bridge from the road. So they examined the second possibility. Dr. Gallup supposed Calvi was murdered in the boat while en route to the bridge. But she couldn't prove it, and the English courts were apparently unmoved. The banker's case remained closed. The family had more luck in Italy. Armed with Dr. Gallup's report, they convinced investigators to take a second look at the mysterious death. In December 1998, the Calvies gathered around a large granite crypt in the small Italian village of Trezzo. They were accompanied by Italian magistrate representatives who were going to exhume Calvi's body. Once the banker's coffin was unearthed, they dispatched it to a morgue in Milan. There, a pathologist autopsied the body. Calvi's neck bones were relatively undamaged, making it scientifically impossible he died by hanging himself. But he did have scratches near his cheekbones that suggested someone had slipped the noose over his head from behind. His injuries were consistent with a garroting, not a suicide. A fingernail analysis showed the banker never touched the bricks in his corpse's pockets. Somebody else must have slipped them in after Calvi's death. The results confirmed Dr. Gallup's conclusions. The evidence was so overwhelming, the Italian government officially declared Calvi's death a homicide. In September 2003, British police finally agreed to reopen their investigation as a murder inquiry. But detectives had little to go on. 21 years had passed since the crime, and the banker had a lot of enemies. They didn't know where to begin. So they turned to the person who likely knew Calvi the best, his widow, Clara Calvi. Clara said on the night of her husband's murder, he'd been carrying documents. They could incriminate the Holy See in money laundering and treason against the Polish government. She insisted Calvi was killed by the Vatican. Coming up, suspicion mounts around the Holy See. Put yourself in the shoes of a real-life detective. Imagine examining the crime scene, gathering evidence and interviewing witnesses, feeling the pressure mount as you race against time to catch a criminal. Each week on Scotland Yard Confidential, the new Spotify original from Parcast, we enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history following in their footsteps as they hunt down suspects and solve seemingly impossible cases, like the scandalous murder of singer Cora Crippen in 1910, whose body was found in her cellar shortly after her husband skipped town, or the daring Hatton Garden heist of 2015, when a gang of elderly thieves made off with a haul worth millions, and the cryptic notes found at a murder scene during the First World War. 
Was it a clue or a red herring designed to throw investigators off? Scotland Yard Confidential is a Spotify original from Parcast made in partnership with Noiser, airing episodes weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen to Scotland Yard Confidential for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Now back to the story. More than 20 years after Roberto Calvi's death, investigators in London officially reopened the case. Because he reportedly had a briefcase filled with papers that implicated the Holy See, his widow suggested the Vatican had reason to kill the banker. To this day, it's still unclear exactly what those documents were. But in Calvi's note to the Pope, he claimed they would, quote, provoke a catastrophe of unimaginable proportions. For years, Banco Ambrosiano had secretly funneled money offshore with the backing of the Vatican's unregulated bank, the IOR. They got away with it because the Holy See is legally a sovereign entity, making it virtually untouchable by Italy's banking authorities. The loophole was airtight, so it's hard to believe the most powerful religious institution in the world would kill to cover up its finances. They had little to gain from a murder, unless the briefcase contained something more inflammatory than evidence of financial fraud. Perhaps Clara was correct. The papers may have implicated the Vatican in trying to destabilize Polish politics. And if the Holy See was involved in a cover-up, the corruption might go all the way to the top, to Pope John Paul II. John Paul was the first Polish pope in history. And long before then, he witnessed the brutal Soviet invasion of Poland. The tragic event influenced John Paul's politics. Even after he was elected head of the Catholic Church in 1978, his ties to his birthplace remained strong. Years later, he supported a Polish anti-communist movement called Solidarity. This was a trade labor union that hosted many nonviolent protests against the Soviets. Their grassroots efforts won many hearts and minds in Poland. However, the Holy See couldn't openly give money to Solidarity. Officially, the Vatican was neutral when it came to international politics. Additionally, the Vatican's open support for solidarity could provoke the Soviet Union and their security arm, the KGB. So the Pope allegedly turned to the head of his Vatican bank, Archbishop Paul Marcinkus. Then, Marcinkus called his partner in crime, Calvi. At the time, Marcinkus seemed to have supported Calvi in controlling one of the world's largest money laundering networks, and business had never been better. 
but documentarians Herbert Blondiau and Udo Gumpel suggested their plot was about more than finances. Marcinkus reportedly agreed with the Pope's anti-communist stance and eagerly supported his efforts to oppose Soviet influence. He'd do anything to make the pontiff happy. Calvi, on the other hand, was reluctant to help Marcinkus influence international politics. He was afraid their actions could trigger a third world war. Somehow, it seems Marcinkus won him over. We don't know how. It's possible the Archbishop coerced Calvi into cooperation. Marcinkus may have threatened to expose the banker's financial crimes. Either way, Calvi allegedly funneled money from the Holy See to Polish activists, and their plan worked. With the Vatican's financial support, the Solidarity Movement thrived and destabilized the communist regime in Poland. But it meant little to Calvi. He was more concerned that the Vatican had leverage against him now. They might try to interfere in other Banco Ambrosiano business. Before Calvi could do anything about it, Italian police showed up at his door. On May 20, 1981, authorities arrested Calvi for fraud. But they weren't working for the Vatican. The charges unnerved many of his collaborators. They may have worried he might turn on them while in custody and reveal everything. And the church was in an especially weak position. Seven days prior, the Pope had been severely injured in an assassination attempt. The Soviet Union was a suspect. This felt like the worst possible time for a revelation that drove a deeper wedge between the Holy See and the USSR. But they didn't need to worry for long. Calvi was released on appeal. As soon as the banker was a free man, Marcinkus allegedly summoned him for a secret meeting. We don't know exactly what they spoke about, but author and financial reporter Charles Raw speculates Marcinkus wanted to cut ties. Perhaps he asked Calvi to return his money, roughly 250 to 300 million dollars. But Calvi didn't have the cash. He needed over a billion dollars to fix his books at Banco Ambrosiano, and Italian officials were keeping a close eye on him. The two were at an impasse. This may be why Marcinkus agreed to sign what he called letters of comfort. Calvi could use them to raise money from investors with the Catholic Church's support. But that's not what Calvi did. Instead, the banker used the letters as evidence the Vatican was responsible for his bank's debts. According to Calvi's family lawyer, that's when the Holy See spread word that the banker was no longer under their protection. This doesn't mean the church had anything to do with his death directly, but they effectively gave a green light to anyone who may have wanted to kill Calvi. Fearful for his life, the banker turned to mafia-connected businessman Flavio Carboni. But Carboni's services came at a cost. Reportedly, Calvi paid him $20 million, the equivalent of more than $58 million today, to help him leave Italy and access money from his foreign accounts. Carboni gave Calvi a fake passport. He also instructed an acquaintance named Vitor to act as Calvi's bodyguard and smuggle him out of the country. 
Their first destination was Switzerland. As they neared the Swiss border, news of the banker's disappearance spread through Italy. That's when Calvi allegedly changed his plans and decided to go to London instead. To this day, it's unclear why the banker altered his itinerary. Perhaps he thought authorities were waiting for him across the border. Or maybe he had more connections in England. It's also impossible to know what happened behind the Vatican's walls while Calvi was in London. But it's safe to assume when they heard about Calvi's death, Archbishop Marcinkus and the Pope may have breathed a sigh of relief. Their biggest liability had just been eliminated. But the clergy's victory was soon undermined by a new development. As Italian regulators seized control of Banco Ambrosiano, they discovered Archbishop Marcinkus's letters of comfort and demanded the IOR pay their debts. Under normal circumstances, the Vatican Bank may have denied Italy's request. They were self-regulated and outside of Italy's jurisdiction. They didn't have to do anything. But the IOR quickly settled the issue, paying upwards of $145 million. It was an uncharacteristic move, perhaps suggesting the church was trying to distance itself from Ambrosiano and Calvi. Of course, none of this was provable without one key piece of evidence, Calvi's missing briefcase and the documents it contained. Police didn't get around to looking for the files until they opened the murder investigation. But investigators found a Czech bishop who admitted under questioning he'd purchased the contents of Calvi's briefcase. He claimed he only did it to clear the Vatican of wrongdoing. But suspiciously, he couldn't prove it because the papers had gone missing. However, the bishop offered a tip. He'd bought the documents from Flavio Carboni. Which meant the mafioso didn't just transport Calvi during the banker's final days. Carboni may have killed him. Coming up, investigators close in on the mob. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, back to the story. The British police may have suspected the Vatican had something to do with Roberto Calvi's murder in the early hours of June 18, 1982. But after discovering mobster Flavio Carboni stole the banker's briefcase, the detectives shifted their focus to the mafia. By this time, the case was over 20 years old. And as soon as the authorities looked into the mob, 
the investigators received threats. On one occasion, a detective received a package containing black powder and a message that read, This is an ultimatum. Stop. But this wasn't enough to deter the London police. English investigators collaborated with Italian authorities, pooling their knowledge. But although they thought there was a mob connection, they couldn't identify a single suspect to focus their attention on. That is, until a new source suddenly came forward. A mafioso named Francesco Di Carlo claimed the mob had wanted to kill Calvi because he was ratting out his co-conspirators and owed them money. Di Carlo added the hit came straight from Giuseppe Pippo Calo, the cashier of the Sicilian Mafia. Pippo was a ruthless crime boss. His criminal record included an express train bombing that killed 16 people and injured 267 others. So it wasn't a stretch to think he put a hit out on Calvi, especially given nobody in the organization made a move without Pippo's permission. So the cashier may have ordered the hit, but it was still unclear who carried it out. Investigators turned to the last people who'd seen Calvi alive, Flavio Carboni and his associate, Vitor. But Carboni protested his innocence. He insisted he'd never hurt the banker. He was trying to protect Calvi. Furthermore, Carboni had an alibi. At the time of Calvi's death, he was with a friend, or at least he claimed to be. When London police interrogated the friend, they arrested her for giving false testimony. It's unclear what she said to merit the charge. That still left Vitor, Calvi's bodyguard and chauffeur, during his final days. But the mobster claimed he never saw Calvi on the night of his murder. This may be because Vitor left the country after Calvi died, but before authorities found his body. Suspicious timing, to say the least. Armed with the English police department's evidence and testimony from a mafia informant, Italian prosecutors brought charges against Pippo, Carboni, Vitor, and another low-ranking mobster. In October 2005, they stood trial. 23 years had passed since Calvi's death, and maybe, finally, he'd see justice. Prosecutors alleged Pippo ordered Calvi's murder over his debts to the mob. They suggested the two men brought the banker to London to be killed by hired assassins. Supposedly, they lured Calvi onto a small boat under the false pretense that they were smuggling him out of London. Then, one of them slipped a rope around Calvi's neck and strangled him. Finally, they may have pulled the boat under Blackfriars Bridge and tied Calvi's body to a scaffolding to make it look like a suicide. But Pippo argued the informant's information was incorrect. Sure, he could have lied to avoid conviction, but he was already serving a life sentence for another murder. It's not like this trial could get him into any more trouble, especially because the prosecutors weren't seeking the death penalty. Additionally, Carboni claimed the accusations were outrageous. He wouldn't even acknowledge Calvi had been murdered and Vitor didn't show up to the trial at all. In Italy, defendants didn't have to appear in court. 
Vitor wasn't the only no-show. The prosecution struggled to produce witnesses. Few people were willing to talk, and given how old the case was, some had passed away in the intervening two and a half decades. On June 6, 2007, the judge threw out the case, citing insufficient evidence. All defendants were acquitted. Calvi's family was devastated, but prosecutors weren't ready to give up, and the mob informant who'd accused Pipo of murder wasn't done talking. Allegedly, the leader of P2, Licho Jelly, had also organized the assassination. Jelly had motive. He felt the banker had stolen money from him. Prosecutors in Rome also noted the banker was found under Blackfriars Bridge, which seems significant because members of P2 often refer to themselves as Black Friars. They suspected this was a hidden message to anyone else who might want to cross the organization. A warning that if you betray P2, you'll end up dead. This wasn't much to go on. The Black Friar connection could have been a coincidence. And while P2 may have wanted Calvi dead, that didn't mean they'd actually killed him. The case against the society was weak, but it's possible authorities were simply desperate to hold someone accountable for the murder, and this may have been their last chance. Each year that passed, more evidence disappeared, and more witnesses forgot what they'd seen or died. So they brought the charges to trial. On the stand, Jelly brushed the accusation away. He claimed the banker was murdered because he and the Vatican supported the Solidarity Movement in Poland. Much like the Mafia trial, there were few witnesses willing to testify against Jelly. Additionally, a significant amount of evidence had been lost over the years. In May 2009, the court dropped the charges. Like all the other suspects before him, Jelly was acquitted. As he slipped through prosecutors' fingers, so did any chance at convicting someone for Roberto Calvi's murder. Today, his homicide is still unsolved, and the possibilities are mind-boggling. He may have fallen victim to church officials, organized crime, or a nefarious secret society. They even might have conspired together. True, the various organizations pointed fingers at one another. The Czech bishop accused Carboni of selling him Calvi's briefcase, and Jelly implicated the Vatican on the stand. But nobody has ever produced the smoking gun that would identify Calvi's killer. Perhaps that's because these powerful individuals are still covering for one another. Or maybe only heaven knows what became of God's banker. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. For more information on Roberto Calvi, amongst the many sources we used, we found the book God's Banker, The Life and Death of Roberto Calvi by Rupert Cornwell extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer.
Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by A.P. Boland, with writing assistance by Ben Hanani and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Anya Bairley, and research by Chelsea Wood. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Scotland Yard Confidential is the new Spotify original from Parcast. Enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history as they crack seemingly impossible cases. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen for free on Spotify.